this episode of See Here is dedicated to Metal and the Legend of the Zebra Man, Rock God. <laughs> of the See Here podcast. We're four years old and we're ready to rock. This is Morris speaking here in Melbourne and on the other end of a Skype connection I have my esteemed learned metallic colleagues Mr. Tim Merrill in Seoul, South Korea. Hey man, pass me that roach clip. (laughs) Hang on, this is not the fish parking lot. And in Bath in England, in sunny England, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Yo dudes. (laughs) Special. Got your wine skin ready, man? Hell yeah. Pass me over that wine. <laughs> Pass it this away, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a very special program ahead. We're not just going to talk about Heavy Metal Parking Lot, the very influential film from 1986, but we're going to speak to one of the two producers slash directors and really starter of a whole movement, Mr. Jeff Krullett. He has a lot to say about not just the making of the film, but what happened in the ensuing years of the film's release, how it influenced a whole bunch of other filmmakers, maybe, and also what it meant to a bunch of musicians and just the general punter. And there's even some academia involved. It's really, really fascinating stuff. So we'll be back to talk with Jeff after this break. You're listening to See Here, episode 47. Rock on, dude. Greece is the best, man. Greece is the best. I'm telling you. Hey, let me tell you. Robert Halford is the best motherfucking single around. They can't get down it, man. You can play some guitar. What's your name? Graham, man. I like Graham and Where are you from? Where are you from? Well, I'm from, I'm from the West Coast, man. You came all the way here to, to see the band? Oh, or you no, just, you're just passing through now. Yeah, that's a different thing. He means, like, where are you right now? Oh, you're besides Earth. He's an acid man right now. Yeah, I'm on acid. That's where I am. Is that all right? Where are you from? Flem Burning. Yeah? You like heavy metal? Hell yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. What do you usually do when you go to a heavy metal concert? Party. Yeah? Yeah. You go to school? Hell yeah. Yeah? Do they like uh, heavy metal and Glen Burning? Yeah. That's like it. What would, you, what, would you say, uh, what would you say if you saw Rob Halford right now? I'd jump his bones. Two rules. Is Ozzy really raunchy? Sensations coming over me 
Welcome back to episode 47 of See Here Podcast. And on the other end of a Skype connection, the See Here crew are extremely grateful and thrilled to be speaking to Jeff Krulik, one of the directors of the Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Welcome to See Here, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but it's really applicable for all of your parking lot films. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've sort of immersed myself in quite a few of them. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners out there are familiar with the concept, and we'll sort of get more to that shortly. But one thing that's really plagued on my mind, did you find across making any of these films that people were naturally willing to talk when you approached them as themselves? Were they putting on something for the camera? How honest do you find that people were across this as a social experiment? Well, certainly when we made it in 19, the first one in 1986, over 30 years ago, I mean, people knew what a camera was. So, and it was a camera, a substantial news gathering type camera. You know, they they knew they were getting filmed and they wanted to, you know, get on. And and so, um, you know, it really wasn't uh, anything. I don't recall people shying away from it and, and kind of, uh, in a way, you know, just wanting to, in some cases, they thought it might be seen on TV or, you know, or something for the band. I mean, or wherever. They knew they were being recorded. And I, I don't know if they really were self-conscious about it other than just they... You know, we didn't have any resistance that I can recall, and I don't recall a whole lot from that particular day because, except in, in over the years now, you know, it's just the whole thing's just taken on a life of its own. We couldn't be more pleased. And and, and so beyond after that, when you start getting, you know, into your more recent years, I mean, now it was a real novelty in '86, and you know, ca- there were no video cameras. There certainly wasn't anything like today, where everything's being documented endlessly with your phone, in particular. And so we kind of just—it was this this novelty. People had home video hadn't even really taken off, so you know that was still in its infancy. So nobody really had video cameras, and and again, that's that's kind of why the footage is you know kind kind of exists as such a time capsule interpol doc or whatever because there really wasn't anybody else capturing that environment mm-hmm. and and so we've certainly been pleased at the fact that we're still talking about it now and that it's it does have this shelf life and legacy and then as we moved on into other parking lots if pe- people knew not to get on camera if they were ambivalent or didn't really want to share whatever they had to but you know a lot of it has to do with just how you approach them and you know how friendly and agreeable you are and, and we never really wanted to put words in anybody's mouths and that just allowed them to be themselves well you know what i, I don't want to you know embarrass you or anything but i think what you did actually was akin to like the work of alan lomax in that you know you were actually able to really archive and document something that no one had ever really done before well my question to you is that what was your intent when you were going out there with the camera was it just to shoot a bunch of heshers getting high in the parking lot or or did you really have this intent of going in and trying to capture it in some type of social substrata or uh... well i wish i could say we had a, any kind of <laughs> ambitious academic notion or any kind of alan lomax driven goal you know to really uh, yeah. capture this 
particular undocumented universe. And it just seemed like something that was fun. It would be interesting. I mean, I, I have, I must say, I made this with another a colleague slash co-producer slash dear friend who John Hine and I became really close collaborators. We really hit it off maybe um, not even a year before when we met. And uh, I was running this TV studio. It was public access television for the community where people could borrow equipment and make their own video or TV shows, if you will, with our video equipment provided by the cable company. And I was in charge of that. But I, of course, had my own ambitious ideas. When I met John, he had ambitious ideas of being, you know, documentary filmmaking, filmmakers. And we were in our 20s. We were fairly green, but we knew what we liked. And we liked kind of um, subculture, eccentric, you know, esoteric, unusual filmmaking. We were drawn to stuff that was, you know, left of center, not part of the mainstream, I think, you know, just... And, it, and so John had the idea. He basically, and I think it probably just came from the fact that, you know, things like Headbangers Ball right. was on MTV. You kind of knew the universe. John and I were not heavy metal fans, but we were never dismissive. We had a curiosity. We're interested. And we knew that it probably would be good material, but we had no idea how good. <laughs> and also, oh, yeah. when we were going in there, we just kind of didn't have a plan. We didn't have an agenda. We didn't have a script we had no we were just mostly concerned about bringing back the equipment in one piece because right. who knew what we were going to encounter we had been to concerts in fact we had been to concerts at that arena we grew up around there we weren't a stranger to attending a show or knowing the kind of partying that went on in the parking lot but we were not heavy metal fans per se and it was just dumb luck that it was judas priest because it could have been any band but right. the fact that it was judas priest has really helped the shelf life and a band like that didn't have to have hits at that time period to uh, fill up an arena with teenage concert goers because and in many respects people went to see con whoever was playing a right, lot of people right. were there of course to see Judas Priest but quite a few people just went to a concert sure. you know, it didn't matter it was a gathering place and, sure. and a party place and a partying in the parking lot was part of that so it was really more by accident than design but boy we are so grateful <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that who we met and we were only in that parking lot for two hours wow. we, didn't, we were only there the tapes we were using were these uh, U-matic three-quarter inch video, and they were only 20 minutes apiece. Wow. We, we filled up three tapes and about five minutes on a fourth tape. So that's a really low shooting ratio. And now if you were ever to see, you know, the raw footage, there's a lot of footage of, you know, people, we, we not a lot, but we, we there were quite a few, like, people that weren't didn't make the cut, you know, because they weren't really lively and, right. and, and fun and, and interesting. Right. So in some respects, it's it, we, we manipulated the, the whole scene, but we never went in to make a verite film, no, you know? We were no, just no. trying to make an entertaining short documentary. Sure, so sure. there's a, there were a lot of people that were not, you know, just, part, you know, stewed to the gills or what have you, you know, and I guess most of them didn't get on camera. <laughs> I mean, it was a real cross-section. I mean, we just kind of had a cross-section of people. Most people were all just the sound bites. Anybody that had any kind of sustained rap or were on camera, such as, um, Graham. <laughs> yeah, Graham <laughs> Dope. <laughs> Fucking party! No shit! Right, well, what, what's your name? Graham, man, like Graham and Dope and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? Where are you from? Well, I'm from, I'm from fucking the West Coast, man. You came all the way here to, to see the band? Uh, or you no, just, I, you're I, just I passing through now. That's a different thing. He means like, where are you right now? Oh, yeah. Besides Earth. He's an acid man right now. I, I, yeah, I'm on acid. That's where I am. Is that all right? Is that what kind of drugs you're doing? Yeah, drugs. 
fucking hair, everything. Yeah. You know, or Zebra Man. Yeah. You know, or these yeah. are the names that we, we. This was these were the names bestowed upon them by people over the years. Right. Uh, you know, they may maybe we're lucky to have a minute on camera, and uh, but everybody else oftentimes is just a you know, few uh, words or a soundbite or what have you. Yep. It sucks shit. Heavy metal rules. Heavy metal rules. All that punk shit sucks. It doesn't belong in this world. It belongs on fucking Mars, man. What the hell is punk shit? And Madonna, hey, shit. Madonna can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. She's a dick. What's incredible, I didn't even know that Graham had actually written a book. What was it, the first 20 years? Exactly. I am so thrilled. I'm so happy that a lot of people in the film. First of all, we, we know about a good 25 people, maybe more now. I have lost count of people who we actually have contact with. Um, cool. Some we know personally. I mean, the internet's been terrific for that, for connecting us. And, yeah. vice versa. and somebody like Graham, I mean, I'm so happy that he's taken ownership of his uh, you know, star turn and, in, in case, and, and actually wrote a memoir which is self-published but uh it's quite good and illuminating and i think it also helps breathe a lot of life you know and more depth into the person who we only knew previously for just that one minute on screen right and you know it's kind of funny because you know in a way it's almost like you know there's a pruder film where there's people that are just <laughs> just known by the lady in the hat the man with the newspaper like <laughs> you know you know it's just like right, you, know, you, right. you only know them by what you you know you see them for a split second and then that's the name that they get the one thing that I find interesting with what you shot and with the, the idea that you said you were going in completely neutral was that I think a lot of young people, they're almost like dogs in the sense that they have a, an oversensitive kind of sixth sense that they know if you're coming in making fun of them or not, or they can smell legitimacy or non-legitimacy, <laughs> right. you know, and, and I think you coming in, the only time in the whole point of your film where you, you really kind of get any pushback is when you're talking to that African-American guy. What? What is this? Well, we're with MTV. Bullshit! You know, like, that's right. that's about the only time it seems like there's any backlash to what you were doing. But was that really just about it? Or was there anybody else who was like, hey, and like... Well, I think some people... I, I don't. He's certainly uh, Tyrone's his name or nicknamed Buddha. He's uh, he's one of the fellows we know and uh, one of our alumni. Uh, we like to call them our family. Yeah, like, I don't have any recollection of anybody absolutely not wanting to be on camera or you know in some ways indulging us or or what have you or being good sports. Um, right. I, I, and I think that even he was just he didn't say don't tape us, it don't tape me. It was just he just called us out. And at the time, I mean, if you look at the at that time of night, I mean, it was late. It was getting dark. You can tell from, I mean, everybody's lining up to go into the concert. I, we do, we go down the line and just was, again, it was just all just luck of who we encountered. And his case, he came up just at the right time. And I was, it was my voice that said MTV. And I was pretty exasperated at that point, only from trying to explain who we were. It wasn't like I said, oh, I'm going to go goof with people and tell them we're from MTV. I mean, it, we were telling people, and this is true. We said, well, we want to make this for the, the fans and the band. We want to give copy to the band. We had that in the back of our mind, maybe, is that that was a possibility. Um, and we also were trying to explain what 
our channel was, which in the case of where we brought the equipment from, it was from some place called, you know, Channel 6A, Metrovision, local cable company, you know, public access. So trying to explain that was just, you were getting nowhere. <laughs> Nobody understood it, you know, certainly didn't have any recognition of it. So at that point, I just, as a, you know, it was a goof at that precise moment when I just was like, oh, we're off from MTV. That's when he said bullshit, which was gold. I'm David Elby, I'm 20 years old. I'm ready to rock. Don, 13. Jeff, uh, I wanted to ask how you felt about uh, the movie almost taking on a life of its own. It was kind of bootlegged and it leaked out to various people and stories of, you know, Sonic Youth watching it on their tour bus and so on. I wonder kind of how you felt about that and, and when you found out about that. Oh, gosh. Here's the thing. When when we made it, we did it in 1986. It was on video. We shot on video. Now, John and I were aspiring documentary filmmakers, and we, of course, would have loved to have get, gotten our short film here, which was on video. We would have loved to have gotten that to film festivals, but no film festivals took video at that time. Nowadays, it's all digital and everything. People hardly shoot in film anymore. And, and so but we couldn't get it seen in a film festival because it was on video, and we didn't have the resources or budget to blow it up to a film print i wouldn't even know where to begin to do that back then mm -hmm. but we had to just kind of give we showed it at like and we showed it to our friends and i will say i never played it on my channel the public oh. access Success. I was going to ask you if yeah. you ever read it. I wasn't, it was just too raw and I wasn't about to like wave that in front of my employers. There was really no upside to doing that because we had a film that we thought could play, you know, at least in to the our right audience and peers and people that were interested in documentary or certainly it existed as a short film. So we had hoped to get it. We even tried to get it on, we sent it to MPV. We sent it even as the Discovery Channel is on a lark. I mean... <laughs> Every right. place rejected it. And then, of course, home video. We thought, wow, we can get this on home video. And we weren't able to, you know, you weren't going to get a, a release for a 15-minute video, 16-minute sure. We had a couple nightclubs that we showed it at, record conventions. We gave it out like water to anybody who wanted it, our friends right. and whoever. And, and it really just kind of took on a life getting uh, dubbed and duplicated, you know, unbeknownst to us. Right. Uh, well, that was the whole thing. You know, you guys, you were one of the innovators the whole viral movement, right. I mean, the original viral movement, because I remember seeing this maybe about 88 or 89, you know, sitting back with my friends, getting buzzed and watching uh, Bambi versus Godzilla, Heavy right. Metal Parking Lot, The Fish Heads video, Barnes and Barnes. Like, it was just on a mixtape. And I said, where did you get this? Oh, I got it from a friend of a friend. And it just went on and took a life of its own from that, you know. And then everybody dubbed it and dubbed it. And that was the first time I'd seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Well, it's uh, that was the best way to see it, I think, just because, I mean, I remember those days of, you know, getting stuff on dubs of things that you right. would stumble into or people would have. And then, of course, a, a real strong network of, of tape traders really uh, embraced it. And it just kind of went all over the place. We stopped screening it in 1990. We literally shelved it. We had a local curated festival that we put together at the, a local theater that was equipped for video projection. And then we just we couldn't screen it for our friends anymore. I mean, we just we made that decision. We just thought we can't just we, it was done. We just felt like we had done all we could we were thrilled and happy with whatever we you know attention we got mostly if not all exclusively local mm -hmm. and then 
it wasn't until like four years later. So we stopped in 1990. We went on with our lives. And then 1994, John got a call from out of the blue from Sofia Coppola, who uh, at first he didn't realize who she was. And of course, she was just she hadn't become a director of any note yet. But she was certainly a Coppola. <laughs> and she was somebody we knew. Well, it just was something that yeah. was that the first time. And what happened was she was putting together a show for Comedy Central called High Octane TV. Okay. That never never really took off. It might have only had a few episodes and it never used the episode that we were hit. She asked if we could she could put our film in that. And we're like, well, how did you find it? This John, I'm just surmising what John's conversation was with her because she looked him up out of the phone book. You know, she just looked long, you know, whatever, long distance directory at the time. And and so that's how she reached John. She said that she described having rented it at this Los Angeles video store uh, called Mondo Video. Right. Which, uh, really, that was our epicenter in, on the West Coast. Mondo got a copy and then they just embraced it. Colonel Rob and his crew there. They were great, and they just made people watch it and made people rent it. My friends in Toronto had the video store called Suspect Video, and they did the same thing. You know, in Toronto, that's where most people got the heavy metal parking lot was, you know, and, wow. and they just, you know, and they had a copy on the counter and said, well, look, you rented three movies, take this home home for nothing. Like, you got to see this, you know, like, this, <laughs> that's is, great. this wow. is what everybody wants to see, you know, like, yeah. And like, so it, it was getting pushed in a lot of video stores, believe it or not, not just on the West Coast, but in Canada, too. Uh, that's wonderful. I mean, yeah, I just, uh, I believe it. And I'm still, you know, John and I are very grateful for all these stories like that. And, but, but it was from LA that we first got wind of it because of this phone call. And that was our first inkling. I think bef right before that, there had been a mention in Spin Magazine, I think. Uh, that was very oblique, but somebody wrote a, um, it was a big article about traveling the country and being with bands and music or what have you. And it's like in 94. Right. Might have been right. It was right before the phone call. And that was a mention of, and a real flattering, you know, few sentences about heavy metal parking lot. And then the band Red Cross were in Los, were in D.C. Right. Um, and they were um, on at our, you know, local rock club. 930 club and they were on stage and shouted um yeah i guess one of the mcdonald brothers shouted is the guy who made heavy metal parking lot here and i wasn't but i heard about that you know people told me who yeah. were there yeah and i'm like what you know it's like what, what you know that was so when, all this stuff was kind of really odd but right. it, we didn't know the extent of what was going on until we actually talked to colonel rob at mondo we john called him up right away and then you know after sophia coppola told him that's where she got it and then we were brought up to speed pretty quickly right. about what was going on at least in the sense of it having gotten out there right. <laughs> having been distributed on this kind of grassroots pre-viral right. tape trading level right. that's when we decided you know we gotta start uh, we gotta get it out of mothballs what would you say if you saw Rob Halford right now I'd jump his bones you know, what's really weird, it's incredible how meta all of it was. I mean, it just it got deeper and deeper and deeper. But one thing I find interesting is, you know, after watching the film, it almost seems like you set all of that up. I mean, it just, it, it just comes across so perfect. And I got really uh, a total feeling of... Uh, 
how influential the film is, just your, your footage. Because, I mean, when you look at, like, Richard Linklater's, you know, Dazed and Confused, man, that's it. <laughs> well, that's it. That's I, it. I mean, I, I, I will say that it's so much, like, in his case, I mean, I don't know whether he ever saw it or not, or it was influenced. And he had his own experiences and talents and sure. what have you. And he, I'm sure, was influenced by how he was, by the surroundings he had. And I think that's what was really at work here. And again, we're, and we're very pleased that we captured it was that it's kind of archetypal. And and everybody grew up with a, an experience like this. I always say that you were either at that concert or you sat next to someone in homeroom who was at that concert. Yeah. You know, you just knew it or you had an older brother or a sibling yeah. that was into it. But just going to concerts or going to like that kind of gathering place of a teenager for that, I mean, generally speaking, teenagers and, and, and just, you know, adding the combustible element of loud music and uh, beer or what have you right um, and it's just every a lot of everybody can kind of relate to it and I think so because of the archetype at work here I mean certainly Richard Linklater had his own experiences and whoever gets inspired or was inspired or by what we did I'm thrilled and I just hope the, the fact that it connected with people and still connects now is is very very gratifying right the thing that I found interesting though Jeff is to look at the contrast because you had heavy metal parking lot coming out in 86 and then you tracked down a few of the people for the, well, I don't know if you'd call it a reunion, but the, you know, the 20 years after the fact, and you found the one woman who was, you know, who'd married a guitar player and still liked to party right. while, you know, having children and all that, but she still liked to party, and the other guy who was already, had a heavy metal band and had gone and written that song, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. But on the other hand, you had Zebra Man, who'd renounced all of that and looked extremely uncomfortable, although, from what I've read, he's <laughs> now gone back from country music to heavy metal music and now embraces that part of his... Well, I think, youth. yeah, yeah. So it, it just sort of brings to mind, like, on the one hand, there's been a lot of talk about this film representing a community, but as you grow older, that community sort of goes its own way. It, it's more like it was a community for a night. It, well, again, people kind of went there, it didn't even matter in some cases who was playing, you know? It was just, it was, it was a community, it was a gathering of young people, and a partying in some cases to extremes and that's oftentimes I think what a, 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 the concert experience is and can be and then some doesn't even have to be for young people we waited t- 10 years after the fact in 1996 we made Neil Diamond parking lot And that was the people that are, you know, gathering for that are middle aged, and they're all just as uh, so passionate as the uh, heavy metal fans. But they're, you know, but they're they're really passionate. <laughs> no acid <So>. either. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> One guy who I found interesting, I read up about there was this fellow Zeb Ludwig, who he cast aspersions. He said, "Well, I don't know about Rob Halford." Ian Hill, I'm a former bass player. I'm inspiration. You're an inspiration of mine. Everybody else, you're rocking Robert Halford. I don't know about you, but everybody else, you're definitely dynamite. Let's rock, okay, all right! 
And then I, I read up, so he was doing this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was doing this as a form of rebellion. He'd grown up in an Orthodox Jewish family, and now he's gone back and embraces Judaism a whole lot, and he says he's not letting his daughters listen to heavy metal music. And, and <laughs> Are you in contact with him? Uh, yes, we are. You know, he's, uh, he's now Zev Zalman Ludwig, uh-huh. and um, he was Robbie Ludwig. You know, he hasn't renounced it. That's a part of who he was and who he came from. And I, I think some of the press that was written as is a little, you know, inaccurate about like whether he was rebelling. I mean, he was um, very much a fan, and he played in the bands, and he was around it, and uh, he never, he always embraced his Judaism, as you can see it from he's wearing a Star of David, right? Um, I think or a high. He yeah, has a Star of David in the uh, film, so it wasn't like he wasn't rejecting the his his faith or anything. He certainly was um, kind of he was just into something that at the time was what he was about and and as he got older and however he had his own personal transformation or transformations and we all change everybody just evolves and grows as they get older and adapts what have you and just uh you're not the same person again generally speaking i mean you might be in your head but you're just mature and uh and we're always happy that everybody's you know turned out okay you know in the broad sense zev zz as he's he came to orthodox judaism and became a big uh, mandolin player and fiddle player. He still was into music and he became really into bluegrass, got into bluegrass and now he builds violins. He's got his own shop that, and he builds and repairs violins and cellos and string instruments and he still plays but but he still embraces his uh, the tenets of his orthodox faith But and not changing, you know, it doesn't look back, you know, poorly on where he came from and I, I think the whole thing about not letting his kids I, I, you know, a lot of that stuff just makes good copy <laughs> in the papers. But, but it's, you know, I don't know. He thinks it's a neat story, though. I love his story of transformation, and I love Graham's story. Yeah. Everybody who's come forward, David Wine, who's Zebra Man, <laughs> he unfairly, unfortunately, when we we literally did a door knock when we did that video because we had gotten his address through some means. We and we had somebody had told us on on email on the internet that they went to high school with him so they sent his yearbook picture and that's how we knew it was him and then we tried to we found him outside of Baltimore wrote him and he never responded and we knew we had to do it we did a door knock so on video was literally a door knock meeting him for the first time that day was not a good day for him for a variety of reasons he was very cordial and very um, accommodating as well as he as best he could that day but we never heard back from him and we thought well gee he doesn't want to be in touch yeah, which might have been true but the bottom line was he just had had he couldn't really be more hospitable so I think it comes off wrongly and he wanted to he always felt bad about that because when we finally did a writer found him again and kind of that's the one where he's now like you said you know been more you know looks it, it talks more fondly about heavy metal and the time period and he he just told he said look that day was bad I always wanted to re-, you know he felt felt bad about it and in fact he's really he did embrace and does embrace his star turn on the film and the fact that he was really into metal and still appreciates it and uh, also came to one of our screenings which was terrific oh, nice. because he is such a he's such a great uh, part of the story and people just love meeting him they treat him like a rock star 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he, wild. I, yeah. People were very receptive and appreciative, and it was at a. We had actually had a, a beer, a commemorative beer brewed, and the in Baltimore, and the at the brewery had a party, and David came to it and was able to, you know, like you said, take a get his well deserved bow in front of the crowd. There's pictures of it on, you know, on on Facebook. Where else, you know? Might we might even have it on our well, our website's a little needs a little updating, so maybe that's some of the stuff we should put up there. But that's um, amazing. That's really amazing. This is the funny thing is that, you know, it's like looking at old yearbooks. I mean, everybody gets mortified and says, oh my God, that was me? Like, oh shit. But the thing is, is that everybody has gone through that. Everybody's gone through those moments of their adolescence that they kind of cringe at, you know, later on. But the thing is, despite the warts and all, you've got to learn to embrace it, you know, laugh at it, love it. You know, you've got to learn to just say, yeah, well, that was me then and this is me now, but it's still me. And I think that's what most of the people have done in your follow-up is that, you know, they've said, yeah, you know, I'm still a rocker or I was and now I'm not or, you know, but I think they all turned out relatively all right. And that's No, I, 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 I totally agree with you. You're right. That really makes me happy to know that. But to, you know, we still have people, we're still meeting people, hearing from people. One of the guys who uh, was in that, that shot where, um, you know, where they're holding the banner saying Judas Priest and chanting priest, priest, priest. Priest! One of those guys re- recently uh, got in touch with us, you know, and so it's uh, it's still growing. There's still people out there. Here's a question I have for you, Jeff. If you were to grab a camera today, do you think that you would still be able to do the whole parking lot experience or would it be more like heavy metal chat room? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's it. No, I, I don't. I don't think it would. I mean, I think it can still work, and certainly people have done it. And we've been. We've over the years have tried different, made attempts at uh, you know doing similar stuff. I mean, we, we. I still love doing you know man on the street and talking to people you know with a camera. But as far as any kind of special quality that we stumbled into and had captured, I mean, it just was because uh, nobody else did it. Now it's such a anything that would be captured now would be over with in a. A day, you know, as sure. far as any presentation, sure. there's nothing. Sure. You know, it's there's just so much content and everything's distributed so sure. quickly. One thing that's interesting I find is that at that time, and maybe maybe they did think this, but I mean, back at that time when you had that camera on the, on all those kids, you could have been a cop. You know, like you, you, you could have been law enforcement filming all these kids for incriminating evidence or something like that. Right. Like today, if you tried to do that with a camera, a lot of people would be like, why are you filming me, man? Like, you know, you didn't get my permission. Get the hell out of my face. You know, that kind of thing. Just in the current day and age, you know, the, the attitudes. But I think back then, you know, because it was like the, the frontier, you were just like, do you mind if I can I shoot you? Oh, yeah, man. You know, it's like whatever, you know, and, and I, I love that. They never really second guessed you or like, hey, man, are you a narc? Or like what's going on here you know like well that's true we kind of worried about that at first but once <laughs> we it, it, we did think about that the possibility of taping something we shouldn't and, and incurring somebody's anger and it just didn't happen I mean thankfully <laughs> that's what <laughs> we know we never were accused of doing anything you know like that something that the 
raw material. I think you gave a lot of the raw material of the film footage over to the University of Maryland. Is that correct? Well, we did. We, uh, My collection, rather. I mean, my archive. There's two of us, John and myself. I went to the school. I went to the University of Maryland, and I, I've done a lot of other films and projects, and I just was kind of swimming in stuff and material, and I'm like, what am I going to do with all this? And I negotiated with them, you know, my alma mater to create an archive, and I gave everything to them. It's still an evol evolution and a work in progress, even though the lion's share of stuff did go there. So, and that's what kind of got, um, we had an exhibit there to commemorate right. the 30th anniversary. Right. We, uh, you know, celebrated it and uh, I couldn't be more pleased to have a home for it. And for all the, uh, you know, uh, you know, all the, not just the tapes, which really were kind of, it's more the story. It's more everything that came after it, not just the tapes of the footage. And we right. still control the rights to the footage. We still own that. We still are, they didn't, they don't own it. They don't own Heavy Metal Parking Lot now. It's really everything that, that was collected over the years. You know, they can still do something with Heavy Metal Parking Lot, but we, with, uh, with you know, with our involvement, you know, we certainly control the copyright, but it's still, they got everything that was filling up my storage units. <laughs> so, so have you been told anything that academics at, at the university, or in fact at any university around America, have used any of that footage for, you know, for writing a thesis or for you know, coming up with some sort of paper based on the footage that you shot that day, and indeed anything that you've shot over the years in the other parking lots, you know, be it Harry Potter parking lot or Neil Diamond parking lot. Has anyone sort of put together an academic paper to say, right, well, here are the sociological implications of these various uh, popular... Yeah, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, not, nothing that I've that I've uh, <laughs> nothing that I've heard yet. Or although I do know it's been taught in classes, that it's been screened in classes and academic settings, and that it is not. You know, it, I think it has been in people's mentioned in dissertations, not necessarily via its presence at Maryland yet, but who knows, maybe the more it's out there. There is a digital version of the exhibit too. I can send you that. Uh, That'd be great. Thank cool. you. Sure, sure. I'll, uh, but the, you know, it's, I'm, you know, I love hearing from anybody who's got some, you know, maybe there are dissertations that I don't know about or that it has been discussed academically. You know, I've got a background in sociology and when I, a degree in that, and like I was saying earlier about the strat stratifications of subcultures and everything, I mean, it's definitively there. And what's incredible is I don't even think, you know, this is a Western phenomenon because, I mean, you could go down to South America and kids are all hanging out in front of a stadium for Iron Maiden or whatever. I mean, or I've been to shows in Japan where people have uh, been outside for hours and hours to, just to hear the sound check or to see the bands come in, you know. I don't think this is just a Western phenomenon. I think you, you guys inadvertently tapped into something that you know has gone on worldwide i mean this is this is a bigger thing and and it's great that academics are you know taking note of that as well it's uh, it is really goes back to that archetypal notion you know that um, just somehow and also the fact that everything we got was the you know really the the raw goods for it i mean we got great people who were there at the environment that was not we were capturing something that hadn't really wasn't being recorded necessarily and we also had you know a preeminent band in that you know genre of music right right, so, right. the timing right. was right because as you said you went into the parking lot with these pneumatic tapes and you know really five six years before that you might not have been able to do that the timing was right with the right band having being on the cusp of that level of technology being accessible to you i mean as you say like everyone with a phone can do it without necessarily 
being able to edit into into something cohesive like you did, but at least being able to film something, everyone could do. So you just seemed to come along at the right time. No, we did. No, I agree. It's <laughs> been like me in a bottle. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I, look, I've spent my entire career trying to reach that <laughs> plateau at 25 that I got in two hours right. in the parking lot, you know? <laughs> so... I mean, well, all roads lead back to that, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> real, real pleased for it. So one other thought that just came to me, Jeff, all the parking lot episodes that I'm sort of aware of have all been about speaking to people who are around some sort of pop culture phenomenon, you know, be it a band or be it, you know, the launch of the new Harry Potter book at the time. Did it ever occur to you to maybe just go speak to people who, you know, nothing to do with a pop culture phenomenon, you know, might be coming to people out of a birthday party, a big, you know, big celebration of some sort, or people coming out of work, you know. A uh, factory parking lot, a uh, bar mitzvah well, parking we, uh, lot. Well, believe me, if I could, ne- if I could go back in time, I would never turn the camera off. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was very fortunate to have access to professional video equipment through my right, job, right. and I can't tell you how many, you know, missed opportunities there were. And John, who I was, uh, be, had other interests. We wanted to do other film projects, and we ended up talking about more than we did. We did do some. We managed to do stuff over the. Uh, ensuing years but not right. nearly as much as I wish we had the one thing I wish I would have loved to have seen was the the G.G. Allen parking lot <laughs> oh god <laughs> my goodness you'll never believe what G.G. Allen's fans do in the parking lot <laughs> I, there might there might be something out there. I mean, I know there's been the films and people have video yeah, of, yeah. Uh, from that time period. A friend of mine actually has a lot traveled with Gigi Allen and has a lot of footage that one day I hope he'll cut something together. You know, yeah. this seems to be quite an insatiable interest in his career. That, that's what <laughs> oh, you want to call it. <laughs> right. But I mean, it was it was the guy made his mark. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I tried. I tried to see him. I, I went to try to see him like in 92 before yeah. I think he died not long after that but he, right, right. He, the show got cancelled right. uh, but I do know people who did see him like in New York friends of mine and yeah. they went on full throttle and the description of people running out the door is just hysterical in my mind <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's, a whole not, it's a whole other story it's crazy man it's real crazy I've never seen such thing in all my life until I've been working here what uh, what's the craziest thing you've seen go on at a heavy metal concert the way all these um, young guys hawk, the way all the people dress, the way all they make noise, and the way all the you know drive around the parking lot real wild. Where are you from? Jamaica. Do they have anything like this in Jamaica? Never. Well, so. well, listen, uh, we should let you go now. We know that you're on a short time, but uh, we just want to say, Jeff, thank you so much, man, like really for taking the time and just speaking with us. You know, we really, really appreciate, you know, your insight and just, you know, being able to celebrate with us what it really meant, the whole heavy metal parking lot of what it continues to be today. Well, I really appreciate it. It's nice that you're uh, interested enough to have me and I'm, you know, really happy to have done this and, you know, let's keep in touch. And Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, congrats on the fourth anniversary of the podcast. I do have one final question, actually, Jeff. Are you working on anything at the moment? 
Oh, yeah. I've always got something that I've got. In fact, one thing I did, I'm putting the finishing touches on. It's been out for a while, but I'm actually going to just make a DVD screener is of something called Led Zeppelin Played Here, which is about alleged concert by Led Zeppelin when they were starting out that may or may not have happened. It's kind of a mystery. Made this film about it really kind of just on the you know local level, but it's had a real macro interest uh, over the years. Uh, people have seen it. I've screened it at festivals and whatnot. And so, and I, and I want to put all the, uh, a lot of the uh, source material and outtakes on a dedicated um, like YouTube channel because a lot of it, that's what you can do now. You know, there's so many ways to share what you've collected. I have other films. I'm really interested in a variety of uh, subjects. I'm, I don't think I have any really super ambitious stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to just go back to a lot of what I already have on the shelf that I've started. But uh, yeah, I do have, uh, I'm always working. I've always got stuff uh, in the mix. I'm on Facebook. I, I'm on I'm not really on that much other stuff. I'm, I, I, I have a website, YouTube. I mean, I'm definitely out there. I'm, 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 I'm reachable. And I, I made something called Heavy Metal Picnic. You know, there's a whole body of work that's uh, around the, you know, the subject. And I'm, I'm very much interested in music. I, I'm working with some band, some documentaries that are music documentaries from the Washington area. There was a band from the 70s that I really want to help tell their story called Raz. And I'm working with somebody. Um, a lot of these are kind of niche low things but right. you know if you can tell a good story it might have a wider audience and that's uh i think always a challenge that kind of stuff that kind I'm of stuff's always interesting anyway <clears throat> the more off the beaten right. track things you know yeah. always right. make the more right. interesting documentary i'm amazed so. nobody so far hasn't hasn't really done a documentary on chuck brown and the whole go-go scene in dc i guess there's nothing yeah. definitive but there's a lot of tangential i mean there's a film called the legend of cool disco dan that uh, friends of mine made and chuck factors into that but that's more about graffiti art but okay. go-go's go-go's a very strong presence in that film and i know other people working on go-go documentaries i'm probably forgetting the film or if there are that were about chuck there's so many films that, uh, about musicians and music films and i've always been a fan of them but there's really such a i mean if i say glut i, I that implies the too, wrong many. Thing. Yeah. too many i, I right. don't i think yeah you know, i think you can never have too many because oh, yeah. there's always people that want to see that and 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 uh are interested, it's, uh, it's, you know? it's not a it's a, it's a golden age at the moment for these. That's things. right. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's challenge for eyeballs. It. It's hard to get people to see it, but it's still. I don't think you're making these films necessarily. I certainly don't make them. I make sure. them for myself. I mean, yeah. I want something. I would like people to come to them after the fact, but I am. Um, I'm interested in the subject and want to create uh, some form of documentation. And uh, if then people can find it, so much the better. Right. But, uh, yeah. Sure. There's. I'm happy to send you links to things and turn you on to stuff from this this part of the world now in part i mean we've got uh tim you're in korea? south korea yeah i'm in seoul and uh and yeah. maurice you're in I'm maurice in Mel- I'm, I'm in melbourne australia melbourne australia and now bernie you're in england Is uh, that yeah it? i'm in bath in the southwest of the uk wow. yeah yeah wow man so uh <laughs> well, i'll keep i'll keep you posted on what's happening here in, great, uh, great. <laughs> these parts i'll, I'll hey, send man. out some links for you no so, absolutely anything that you send will 
we'll put on the See Here Facebook page so uh, our listeners and oh, great. Facebook Bad. people can follow you as well. Yeah. Oh, terrific. All right. I'll... That's what we do. We build the bridges, you know, I mean, with the, you know, with the community. And, and that's what we love. I mean, because we've we've had to, we've been in touch with so many different people that have got back to us and said, well, hey, man, do you know about this? No, we, we didn't know about that. It's like, did you know about? No, I didn't know about it. So it's just great that, you know, we're able to kind of, you know, reconnect everything or get everybody plugged in. And it's just fantastic. Well, count me in. I'm, I'll do what I can. And uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I really do. Thanks, um, Thanks very so much, do we, Jeff. Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. We'll All keep right. in touch. Take care, man. Thanks. Enjoy you your too. weekend. Ha- thank you. And have a great holiday. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You right. Cheers, Bye, Tim. Bye-bye. Take care. Later, Bye-bye. Later man. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks once again to Jeff Krolik for speaking to us here on See Here. Uh, it was really a wonderful conversation. We had a lot of fun and just a very, very friendly guy. I got a lot of memories of uh, getting on the party bus, getting on the tour bus and <laughs> heading off to Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh, yeah. Well, like like Jeff himself said, I, I think he, he caught lightning in a bottle, didn't he? Right oh, yeah. time, right place. Just perfect. Absolutely. 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 Just that time for technology, that time for that particular band. Metal was huge, it seems, at that time in the 80s. And, you know, that whole culture built around it. But also really fascinating to see the film that came 20 years later. You know, where are they now? What I'd really love to do is see that, you know, a cinema would go and put in order Harry Potter parking lot heavy metal parking lot and Neil Diamond parking lot in that <laughs> order. So you get to see here is the story of life. And then, and then the last one will be a documentary about a cemetery. Oh, cemetery parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of send that suggestion to Jeff. Hey, so anyone, anyone, you know, getting buried today? <laughs> Do it like an Errol Morris type of thing. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> All right, so with episode 47, this marks four years of us having started this podcast. We should be at episode 48. We skipped a month this year, but, you know, no biggie. So next month, January 2018, will be episode 48. So March, only a few months away to episode 50. We've got to plan something special for that. Not sure yet what that'll be, but... What we'll be doing in January, I'll be putting up something on the Facebook group, once again asking for listener suggestions for films that we should cover in 2018. We've got our January film, which is one that was meant to be covered this year, but we're very slack, so we're going to do that next month. The film is The American Astronaut, directed by Corey Maccabee, and we're going to have the man who suggested it join us, Mr. Mike White of the Projection Booth, newly returned from his uh, three-month sojourn to Shanghai. So he'll be ready to talk and maybe tell us about some of his experiences working over in Shanghai over the last few months. It's always exciting to have him on the show and look forward to seeing what other suggestions that we get 
for uh, 2018 film. January 2018, The American Astronaut. Now, that's a film that you've already covered. I think it's a bonus on The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, we covered it quite a while ago. Eric Peterson and I, we uh, we did that and we did Human Highway. Well, look forward to uh, watching this. This will be my first time. Looking forward to seeing what this is all about. Oh, man, you're in for a treat. This is a good one. I just wanted to say before we go, I just wanted to thank all the listeners out there and everyone who's uh, indulged us and let us twist their ears for four years with our uh, uh, endless nonstop banter. Uh, We really appreciate and and love giving this to you every month. And, you know, I I just look forward to... uh, you know, my birthday present today for myself was just being able to get together with you two mugs and do this all over again like we do every month. I mean, you know, it means oh, the world to me, man. You big and soppy get, Tim. We love oh, you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right, Burn, that's enough. Anyway, I just wanted to thank the listeners because, uh, you know, all two of you, we, you know, you mean the world to us. You know, mm, thank it, you very much. It does. Absolutely. The, the check's yeah. in the mail. And while we're doing it, since this is a birthday, we should probably also give a, a big shout out to the lady who joined us at the start because of all her other commitments. She couldn't continue on, but uh, a big thanks and a shout out to Wendy Freeman. Uh, not sure if you're listening, yep. but thanks, Wendy, for being a part of this journey at the start. I hope that you're finding your other podcasting ventures a lot more manageable nowadays, but big shout out to you. You were there at the start. Yep. We wouldn't Thank be you, here Wendy. without you, Wendy. Thanks, Wen. All right, so um, final thoughts. Uh, basically, um, if you want to join the Facebook group and start up any conversations about music-related films, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podcast. You can email us at seeherepodcast at gmail.com. I think that pretty much covers it. So um, as we're heading off into the sunset, that is uh, 2017. It's been a strange year on the world stage, so let's try and make 2018 a better year. We're doing our bit by putting out See Here podcasts, which we know make the world a better place. Whatever it is that you celebrate, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, and let's air the Festivus grievances. So until we uh, speak again in January 2018, look after each other, be nice to each other, watch some great music-related films over the break, and we'll start afresh uh, next month. Be well. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Rock Happy on. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 